Westside Baptist Church in Noonan, Georgia, brings you our weekly podcast. We hope you will be encouraged by our music and a message from the Word of God as we present our Sunday morning and Sunday evening services and our weekly broadcast by Dr. Melvin Payne. We thank you for listening. question, isn't it? How many knows that you're washed in the blood of the Lamb? Aren't you glad for what Jesus did for you? Amen, amen, amen.
to it she did uh, it's been a few months back that I asked her to do it and and uh, she did this for us um, I know lots of us uh, uh, could use the Lord's help and blessing in in some areas today uh, the song simply says a miracle today I could I could use one I don't know about y'all but uh, around our house we could we could use a pretty good miracle wouldn't uh, wouldn't it hurt our feelings to see one coming this week? I'll be honest with you. And I, I know a lot of you probably feel the, feel the same way. So if, um, if you could do it for me.
She's sitting down, and uh, she ended up in the ER this week. And of course, in good old fashion, you know how it goes. You go to the ER, and all of a sudden her heart rate was 92. You know, <clears throat> but uh, you just—I uh, don't know if it's all these years living with dad or what. It would be about 190 if it had been because of that. <laughs> but uh, you just pray for mom. I'd appreciate it. I tell you, this morning the Holy Spirit moved in in a sweet way. Uh, the preacher always wants to preach that which he studied and worked so hard on, and but uh, we have to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And I know sometimes visitors come into this church; they think we're crazy because we don't have, uh, you know, our our song, our offering, our song, our prayer, our our, 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 our another song. And then our, our message, 
And, uh, you know, we just, uh, over the years, I, I've learned, Pastor Payne uses the term to free will. Um, of course, he uses that uh, in, in a very respectful and, and structured tone. Um, but um, I have, over the years, learned that if we'll just um, step back and let the Holy Spirit do his work, it makes it, it it helps the preacher out and it helps the membership out, and uh, so uh, I did. I stepped back and um, said, "Lord, I was sitting over there, contemplating what in the world to do." And uh, the next thing I know, Brother Dave was praying with me, and the next thing I know, someone else, Brother Dwayne, came down forward and, and was praying over me, and uh, it was just the Holy Spirit confirming in my heart that. Uh, uh, I needed to sit back and shut up, and I'll preach on obesity some other day. Amen. <laughs> but uh, so, I, so you have to step back sometimes. And so right now I'm wrestling with that same uh, same um, issue. Um, I believe I was following the leadership of the Holy Spirit this morning. I believe I am tonight. <clears throat> when I stood up and uh, read a couple scriptures, uh, verses. I I asked Brother Dave. I said, you know, having choir sing or individuals to sing, but the song I wanted sung, but I just wanted to, the Holy Spirit to do it. I didn't want to uh, misstep. And uh, sure enough, uh, the song that uh, that uh, William and uh, the kids sang um, was. Um, somebody go get God and uh, so you know I, I felt when they were singing that I felt Lord you know you're just confirming that I'm, I'm listening correctly and uh, folks I'm tell you something preachers get over the years I've a lot of preachers they'll go to lead their church in an area or and they'll say God told me to do this and look I, I've had those moments when I know that God said go X Y and Z but we better make sure that it was God and not just uh, uh, pizza talking back to us, you know. So, uh, but this morning I know that I was following the leadership of the Holy Spirit, and I believe I am right now. So I'm going to ask, if you would, Stephen, uh, get your Bible and come up here and put your coat on so Preacher Payne don't get mad at you now. Amen. And uh, once you come preach to us, I believe it's ordained of the Lord. Or I wouldn't do it, I promise you that. Say, so what would you preach? I've got a whole Bible full of stuff. We're nothing. We've we're not short of anything to preach on. I promise you that. So uh, appreciate Brother Stephen, and you uh, listen, and uh, we trust Stephen's got God's word for us. Are we good? Bear with me. Sorry. I haven't really put my coat on from the pulpit before. I apologize. But I was warm down there, Pastor Alton. My goodness. Well, I'm excited about this. Even if I came in and didn't know that I was preaching, I'm excited to preach. So thank you so much. Um, 
And we're going to get started here in just a minute, but before we do that, I want to take just a moment, and I want to just go to the Lord in prayer. Can we do that together? Let's pray. God, thank you so much for today. Lord, thank you for who you are. God, you're an amazing God. And God, we are so thankful for the opportunity to be in your house again tonight, Lord. Even in the midst of a busy and a crazy world, a crazy schedule, God, we can take another couple of hours out of our day and we can step back and we can enter into your presence. God, I ask that you would remove me from this message. God, I ask that you would instead put yourself all over it, help my words not to return void, but to instead accomplish exactly what you please, piercing the heart of every individual. God, we love you, and we will give you the honor and the glory, for it's in your name we pray. Amen. All right, so as we get going, you can turn to the book of James. We're going to be in James chapter 2 tonight, but as you're turning there, I'll tell you a story, a funny story that I heard not too long ago. It was a story of a, a church similar to ours with a little vestibule out in the back. And there was a young man who came and he started attending church. He was probably eight or nine years old. And after church one Sunday, the pastor was shaking hands like we do and he was back there and he saw this little boy. He was staring at some plaques on the wall. And these plaques were pictures of church members and the, the caption above all of these pictures said, church members who died in the service. And so with Memorial Day coming up, the church had paid tribute to any church member who had died in the service and put their pictures up and their plaques up. And so this little boy was mesmerized by these pictures and he was standing there staring at them and he got this look on his face and the pastor noticed it. And he walked over to the young boy and he said, son, you know, what's going on? What's going through your mind right now? And the little boy turned and looked at the pastor and said, pastor, did they die in the first service or the second service? And so I thought that was funny. And does that have anything to do with James chapter 2? No, it really doesn't. But I thought it was something that might make you smile as we prepare to dig deep into God's Word tonight. So we're going to be in James chapter 2. And let me give you just a little bit of an outline as to where we're going and how we're going to do this thing tonight. I really want to have more of a conversation with you. I want to just share my heart and I want to do it simply. And I want to do it from a way that is relatable, and I believe it's something that God laid on my heart to share. There's not going to be an alliteration tonight. I love alliterations. I love the, the letters and the three points in a poem, and I love going that route, but tonight I feel that God is just simply calling me to open His Word and to teach it to you. And so that's exactly what we're going to do in the book of James chapter 2. And here's really the title of the message, if, uh, if I can, for just a minute. And it's really a question, and I want you to ponder it for a minute as we get going. And the question is this, are you a country club Christian? Are you just simply a country club Christian? And you might sit there and say, well, what really does that mean? Well, let me give you just a means of introduction here. Back in 2007, I had the opportunity to go to the Masters. And I don't know about anybody here, but I love golf and I loved the Masters. I loved going. We had the opportunity to do that and it was an awesome experience. And it was one of the most, I want to say, it, it was as close to a religious experience in a sporting event as I think I've ever had. And the reason was because it was just so absolutely gorgeous, and it was always a dream of mine, and I just wanted to do it, so we did it. But here's what I noticed as we were at the Masters. Well, this was quite the country club experience. We went there, and we were really seeking to see what we could get out of the experience. We dressed up nice. We had food. We had an experience. We were entertained. 
we got to watch and we got to kind of fit into this mold as to how people act in a country club. And here's what I was thinking as I was really preparing this message. I was thinking, man, that sounds a whole lot like church. Let me be really honest with you for just a minute. I believe that there's a lot of Christians that show up on Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night, and really what they're looking for is simply a country club experience. Let me give you an example. They come and they dress in their Sunday best, and they believe that if they put their ties in the offering plate and they do it on a regular basis, then they should be able to sit there and get something out of whatever the pastor has to say or whatever the musicians have to say. And they're sitting here to receive instead of ever thinking about what can I give. And so what I want to do tonight is I want to go down this road of the country club experience. And I'm going to, we're going to go into James chapter 2. But I want you to think for yourself for just a moment have you ever lived in such a way that you coming into the church building, you act like a country club Christian? What can I give in order to just simply get something back? We, we're so accustomed in our society to giving money and paying for a service that if we're not careful, that can translate right into how we do church. And it's really a tragedy because as we look in James chapter 2, we're going to see really what happens when we operate that way. And I want you to think about the fact that this building is just simply that. It's just four walls with electrical wiring and light fixtures and carpet and pews if it's not for the body of Christ within it. There is no difference in this building than any other building if it's not for God's presence being here. This building is sacred because it's the house of God and the believers that step into this place are supposed to be believers that come here in to enter into a spirit of worship not to sit and gain an entertainment. You can go anywhere and get entertainment. This is a place of worship. And listen Christian, listen non-believer, this is a holy place. And non-believer, if you're here, I pray that you experience God's presence here like nowhere else. And believer, if you're here and you're not experiencing God's presence, then you're doing it wrong. Then you're doing it wrong because God says that this is supposed to be a sacred place. This is supposed to be a place where we step out of the world and we step into God's presence. And let me tell you, give me a believer that comes in rags and a ratty t-shirt that experiences God over some tie and suit any day of the week. Listen, don't think yourself more spiritual just because you wear nicer clothes. Don't think yourself more spiritual, and let, let me be honest here, because you come Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. Christianity that's only a Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night Christianity is simply dead. This is supposed to be the place where we are fed and where we are mobilized to go. It's not simply supposed to be a place where we check the Christian box off one, two, or three times a week. And I want you to understand that and I'm preaching to myself, and I'd be preaching to the choir if they were back there, but they're not. So I'm preaching to myself, I'm preaching to you, but I believe that that is exactly what God wanted me to say to start off this message. Is listen, are you a country club Christian? And I'm going to be honest with you, I've been there in my life. I've been there. 
I've been at the place in my life, we can do church better than anybody else because we've done it for so long. And we can, quite frankly, fool the world often enough to get by. But you know what? That's not what God called us to do. That's just not what Jesus said that the Christian faith was supposed to look like. And so we're going to dig into what James says about faith without works tonight for just a few minutes. Let me give you some background on the book of James. Well, who was James? Well, James was the half-brother of Jesus. And James knew Jesus intimately. Think about your siblings. Think about the relationship you have with your siblings. James had a relationship with Jesus. And after Jesus ascended into heaven, James wrote this letter, this book, as a way to teach believers from that point forward how to live the Christian life. This book is one of my favorite because it's practical, it's theological, it's doctrinal, and it's applicable. It's really good stuff. And so you start out in the book of James with talking about how do you find joy in the midst of trials and tribulations. And I've been there, and that book has ministered to me in a mighty way. And then we continue into chapter 2, and we're going to talk about tonight faith without works. And what does James say about that? Well, this book was written in about 40 A.D. And let me give you some, some little background on that time period. The church was new at that point. It was relatively new on the scene of Christianity. If you think about it, Jesus had only ascended, you know, several decades prior, and the church age had just begun, and these church people were figuring out how to do church, and they were figuring out what living the Christian life was all about, and they were figuring out how do we deal with persecution inside our body of believers and how can we continue down the road that God has called us to even in the midst of the bumps of the road that we're going to face. And so James writes this in an effort to help believers to understand what living the genuine Christian life was really supposed to look like. And I don't know about you, but I think that it's really the most applicable to have a conversation in a letter about like this to talk about faith and works and how those two are supposed to marry together. Now, I'm going to read you starting in verse 14. We're going to read verse 14 through 18, and then we're going to talk about each one of them for just a couple of minutes, or we'll lump them together. Let me put it that way. James chapter 2, starting in verse 14, and God's Word says this, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, and he hath not works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart into peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it have not works, is dead, being alone. Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Shew me uh, thy faith without thy works, and I will shew thee my faith by my works. Now let me back up for just a minute and let me go down this road of explaining what James is saying here. Verse 14 is a very commonly misinterpreted and misunderstood verse because if you look at it, it says right here, it says, What doth the prophet, my brethren, though a man say ye have faith and have not works, can that faith save him? And people will say, well, whoa, 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 wait a second. Christianity, the pillar of Christianity is its salvation through faith, not by works. And so people that don't understand this passage or this 
what James is trying to say here, will say, well, explain this to me for just a minute, because it sounds like that James is saying that faith and works have to go together in order for salvation to take place. But listen, that's not what he's saying at all. Here's what James is saying. He's explaining the difference between informational living and incarnational living. Informational living is just simply knowledge about Jesus. It's knowledge about the Christian faith. It's knowledge about what we're supposed to do to live out this faith. Incarnational living is that Jesus has gotten all over you and it transformed you. We are supposed to be fruit inspectors. As Christians, we are meant to be fruit inspectors. What does that mean? That means that I should be able to look out and see somebody else that's a believer in Jesus Christ and know by their works that they are that just that. They are, I am supposed to be able to see that you are different than somebody else that's living in the world and you're supposed to be able to look at me and see that I am different and I don't even have to open my mouth. It's supposed to be based on my works that you can tell that God is all over my life. And so this verse is the difference between informational living, head knowledge, and incarnational living, heart knowledge. Because there is no way, if Jesus saved you, that you could live like you did before. It's just impossible. It's not possible. And so James is not talking about some shallow interpretation of our faith. James is saying, listen, brethren, brothers, sisters, it doesn't matter. Listen, you are supposed to show the world Jesus by how you act and by what you do. It's just that simple. It's that simple. And if you as a Christian or I as a Christian step into this place and I sit under godly preaching, and you sit in Sunday school, hopefully, right, Brother Joe? Under godly teaching, and you come on Wednesday night, and you hear discipleship training, and you pray together, and then you step out into this world, and you live like the rest of the world, you have done absolutely nothing for the cause of Christ except get a whole lot of head knowledge. What's it going to take for you to take what you know up here and put it right here. Because there's a whole lot of people that miss heaven by 18 inches. The distance between your head and your heart. There's a whole lot of people that miss heaven by 18 inches. The difference between your head and your heart. And you can sit right here and this can easily become a country club and we can pay our dues in order to step into this place. And we can actually feel pretty good about ourselves. We can. I've been there. Or we can step into this place and view it as a training ground that is just simply for the purpose of filling you up so that you can go out and pour it out to somebody else. That's what the Christian life is supposed to look like. I'm going to be honest with you. Friends, this world doesn't need any more country club Christians. This world doesn't need people who are just Christians on Sunday and Wednesday or when it's easy to be so.
Because it's really easy to love Jesus when everything's going well. It's easy to love Jesus when you don't have somebody in your workplace who's threatening your job because they're asking whether or not you love the Lord. It's easy to love Jesus when you're just kind of cruising along and you don't have anything that's really bringing a bump in your road that would cause you to question your faith. But you know what? Your faith gets real in the midst of trials. Your faith gets real in the midst of that time where you have to choose staying employed or staying with Jesus. Your faith gets real when somebody at your child's school gets on to your kid for bringing up the name of Jesus and you have to determine how you're going to react as a parent. It's easy to be a country club Christian, but you know what? That's not what God called us to. A ship in port is safe, but that's not what ships were built for. Write that down. A ship in port is safe, but that's not what ships were built for. This verse is just simply talking about the fact that our faith is supposed to be backed up by action. It is not saying that works are what save you. It's just saying that if you're saved, prove it. Prove it. So let's read verse 15 and see what it says. We're going to read verse 15 through 17. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, ye be warmed and filled, notwithstanding ye give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it have not works, is dead, being alone. Here's James just simply giving an example. James is, is saying here, he's saying, let me explain to you what I'm saying, what I mean. I can imagine James writing verse 14 and him looking down at the, the paper and saying, you know what, I think I probably better explain that a little bit better so that they understand what I'm saying. Well, that's exactly what he does in verse 15 through 17. He gives an example, just like I've tried to do over the last few minutes. And what he's saying is, look, if somebody is completely naked with no clothes, and somebody isn't completely hungry with no food, what good is it going to do to that person if you simply walk up to them and say, I'm praying for you, brother. I'm praying for you. I'm praying that you get some food. I'm praying that you get some clothes. And then you walk along your merry little way and don't do anything. He's talking about the impact that works have on people. Listen, it's not about the impact that your works have on you, although that's important. That's another message. That's another point. Right now, James is saying, look at the impact that your faith-based works have on the people around you. The people around you can see that Jesus has transformed you by what you do. And if there's a homeless person or somebody else in need who has no clothes and has no food, and you instead of walking up and saying that you're going to pray for them, you walk up and you give them a McDonald's cheeseburger or better yet, some Christian chicken from Chick-fil-A, except on Sunday, then, and you give them some clothes to put on to keep them warm in the winter, then you know what you've done? You have taken what you learned in church and you've put it into action based on becoming the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. That's what James is saying here. He's saying, take what you know and do something with it. Do something with it. We can all stand up here in beautiful shirts and nice ties and nicely pressed suits, 
And we can look down at our brother or our sister in the trenches of life. And we can say from right there, man, I am praying for you, brother. I'm praying for you, sister. We can even go to our house and get a shovel and toss it down to them. But here's my question. Why don't you take your jacket off and roll up your sleeves and do something about it to go down there and pick them up and take them right back to where God wants them to be? Take your jacket off, get your tie off, roll up your sleeves and get dirty in the world to show Jesus to them. Jesus got dirty in the world to show his love to people who would have never seen it if it weren't for his actions. If it weren't for his actions. Now listen, Christian. There's a line that you have to understand and that you have to figure out because the Bible says be in the world, don't be of it. Be in the world, but don't be of the world. You are called to take your jacket off and to roll up your sleeves and to dig that person out of whatever they're going through so that they can see the love of Jesus on you. You're called to that. What you are not called to do is compromise your integrity and your values in order to earn the right to be heard. Do you understand the difference and the balance? Never compromise your integrity. Never compromise who you are because if you compromise your integrity, you ruin your witness and you miss the point. You, Christian, can be what Jesus called you to be without living like the world. You can still take your jacket off. And you can still roll your sleeves up. And you can still go out without a tie. And you can still dig somebody out of the trenches. But don't you ever let that be an excuse for you compromising what you know is right. Don't ever let it be an excuse. Because once we start compromising, we'll never come back. There's an old country song. And believe me, I don't condone a whole lot of the country music. But there's an old country song that says this line in it, and I talked to the teenagers about this on Wednesday night, and I'm going to say it to you because I think it fits here. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. If you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And what James is saying here, and what I wanted our teenagers to get on Wednesday night, what I want us to get tonight is stand up with your actions for Jesus because if you don't do that, then you're automatically, by default, standing for the world. Here's what we think as Christians, that we can be somewhere in the middle, that we can find a middle ground and that we can just kind of live there and we can balance there because it's easy on both sides. We haven't really offended Christians, but we really haven't offended the world either, and we find ourselves living easy. Well, wake up, Christian. You're either living for the world and against God or for God and against the world, but there's no middle ground. There's no middle ground. That, that balancing act that we so desperately try to be a part of is just not biblical, 
and you want to know how I know it's right, look in the book of Revelation at the church of Laodicea, Laodicea, and the example of what God's word says about being lukewarm. God would rather you be hot or cold, but don't you be lukewarm, because in that moment, God says he'll spit you out of your mouth, out of his mouth. What does a lukewarm Christian do? It dilutes your witness. It dilutes your witness. And if you have a diluted witness, what in the world is somebody going to do to come to your faith and to understand what Jesus has done in, their, in your life if you're not living radically for him? If you're just kind of wavering somewhere in the middle, why is somebody going to leave the fun of the world to come to a church building? If you're not standing firm for what you know is right, if you're not living radically, if you're not doing something totally different that's going to have somebody look at you and say, my goodness, what's different about them? What's different about them? If you don't do something that makes somebody to look at you differently, then you're going to blend in as a chameleon with the rest of the world, and you're going to go out there, and you're going to be one of these Christians that nobody knows is a Christian because you're not willing to stand up for anything. It takes being willing to stand up for something, even if you're standing alone. Even if you're standing alone. That's the definition of character. How are you acting even if nobody's looking? We're going to read one more verse, and we'll draw it to a close. Here's what verse 18 says. Ye a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Shew me thy faith without thy works, and I will shew thee my faith by my works. And here's what James is saying. He says it's not at all a teaching of faith is what saves you. It's a teaching of let me prove to you my faith by how I act. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And if you want to earn the right to be heard in the life of a lost person or even a church member, then prove to them, not in an effort to boast yourself, but prove to them by genuine action that Jesus is all over you. People don't care how much you know. Man, you, that's what James is saying right here. I'm going to prove to you. He said, the person that says, I'm going to prove to you my faith without my works, I'm going to talk to you, talk to you, talk to you, and tell you how much I believe in Jesus. That's all wonderful, but guess what? It's void. James says, let me prove my faith by my works. Have you ever heard the, the saying, my mom said it to me all the time when I was little, actions speak louder than words. Actions speak louder than words. And so when it comes to our faith, it's the exact same thing. It's the exact same thing. Actions speak louder than words. And friend, when you step into God's house, this is a training ground for you to gain information, to gain knowledge, to gain a support system, to come around with a community of believers that are called to one purpose. But then when you step out of this place, you have not checked your box for the week. You are just 
getting started. You are just beginning when you leave this place. That's not when you're ending. I want you to understand the concept of servant evangelism. That's what faith with works is really talking about. Servant evangelism is you being willing to share the love of Christ with somebody in a practical way. You can stand in an elevator and you can share the gospel with somebody in 30 seconds and you can give them the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And you know what? That's effective. People get saved by the good news of the gospel that transforms their life immediately. But let me tell you what's really effective. If you go out and you do something for somebody, maybe you're walking in the store and you see somebody struggling who's in a wheelchair. Take the groceries to their car for them. If you're in line at, at Chick-fil-A or McDonald's and you see somebody struggling in front of you, take an extra $5 bill out of your pocket and pay for their meal. You see your neighbor's yard who needs to be cut. Cut their yard. It takes you an extra 30 minutes or an hour, but then you've earned the right to be heard because they're going to ask you, why did you do that? And then you can say, I'm just simply showing the love of Christ in a practical way. That is faith by works. That is your faith in combination with your works. It's not faith over here works over here. It's not faith-based salvation versus works-based salvation. It's faith-based salvation. Now let's do our works that match our faith. That's what it's supposed to look like. That's the biblical example. That's not what's taught in churches a whole lot of times. That's not what's taught in the world most of the time. But it's faith through Jesus Christ, salvation through Jesus Christ, works that match your faith just like Jesus did when he was here. And that's how Christianity can explode in this community and how we can bring people into the church because they want to see what we're all about instead of seeing us as stuffy people who look down on them because they're living like the world. Now listen to me. Here's something important. You can't expect lost people to act like anything but lost people. It's when Christians start acting like lost people that we have a problem. And you want to know how Christians act like lost people? They live like the world, and they don't care about anybody but themselves. Don't come into this place and expect a country club experience. Come into this place expecting a time of worship where you can get on your hands and your face before God Almighty, and you can ask Him, God, send me. Send me to go do something. God, send me to transform the world. God, send me to do anything. Come to this place to learn and to grow, but be ready to go. Don't come to this place to pay your dues so that you can sit and be entertained because you know what? You can do that anywhere. You can do that out in the world. Don't use the name of Jesus Christ for your own entertainment. Use the name of Jesus Christ to save a lost world from the pit of hell because that's what you are called to do. You are called to take the good news of Jesus and share it with a world who may never hear it other than from you. There's really five Gospels, and I'm done. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. And most people will never read the first four. There's really five Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you. And most people will never read the first four but by golly, they'll read you. 
they'll read you. And you know why they'll read you? Because they're watching more than you think they are. And they're listening more than you think they are. And quite frankly, they're probably watching and listening to watch for you to trip up so that they can say, look, I told you, those Christians aren't any different. But you know what? You got their eyes, you got their ears. Why don't you do something with it? Why don't you do something with it? And so as we move into a time of invitation, you come on up, Dave or William, whoever. We're going to move into a time of invitation, and it's really a simple invitation. The invitation is just simply this. Christian, are you a country club Christian? Are you living your life right now to where you would say, you know what? That's me. I come into church, and I pay my dues, either literally or figuratively, and I sit, and I'm entertained, and I check the box, and I go back out, and I live a whole lot like the world. Or maybe you don't even live like the world, but you just don't do anything radical. And maybe tonight you've realized that your Christian calling is more than just simply a passive one. That it's an active one that is simply meant for you to put action with your faith. And if Christian, that is you, the altar is open and I'm going to invite you in just a minute to come. Maybe you're sitting here tonight and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Maybe you say, man, I'm living like the world because I'm a part of it. But I realize that there's something more out there that can bring me hope and can bring me joy that this world has never brought. And maybe you say, I just want to know a little bit more about that Jesus that can transform my life like it did so many people's. If that's you, the altar is open, and I invite you in just a moment to step out and come. And as of right now, I'm going to ask you to stand as I continue and as we come to a close. Maybe you're a Christian. Maybe you have never followed the Lord in believer's baptism. That's simply an outward representation of what God's already done in your heart. And maybe you want to proclaim to the church that you are a born-again believer and that you are a child of God. This altar is open. I invite you to step out and to come. We're going to sing in just a moment. And as we do so, if God's got a hold of you, you step out and you come.
lot of white knuckle Christians. You know what that means? You're holding on to the back of the pew. And I believe, Pastor Allen, that God's not done yet. I believe that there's somebody in this place that just simply needs to do business with God. Maybe you just simply need to come and say, I'm willing to dedicate my life to not being a country club Christian. I'm willing to dedicate my life to whatever it is that God's called me to do, whether it be difficult or whether it be easy. God, I will do it because you called me to it. We're going to sing another verse. You step out and you come. Hast thou dominion or self and or sin? Is thou right with God? Over all evil without and within Is thou heart right with God? Is thou heart right with God? Washed in the we love you. Lord, thank you for tonight. Lord, thank you for the opportunity that we have had to open your word and to read it. God, this is the most powerful sword that we can take out into our community to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with a world that so desperately needs to know that there's a God that loves them. God, I pray for every individual in this place. God, I pray that we will not live like country club Christians. God, instead, that we will be radical transformers of culture for the good news of the gospel. Lord, keep us safe and protected from the evil one. Satan has no place in the name of Jesus, for it is in his name that we pray. And all of God's people said, amen. Praise the Lord.